Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of a senior's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and their families. In today's episode, I wanted to follow up on an issue I briefly mentioned in episode two. In that episode, I talked about what you can do if you're worried about an older parent's memory. And I especially focus on how to get the right medical evaluation to understand what's going on. And so I talked about what you can observe, what information to bring to the doctor, and what should happen during that initial evaluation. For many people, a major hurdle that comes up is that when they're worried about a parent's memory, that parent is often reluctant to get help or further evaluation. And so that's a related issue that comes up all the time. I'm worried about my mom, but she refuses to talk about it. Or I'm worried about my dad, but he refuses to see the doctor. So this is a really tough situation. But fortunately, some of my colleagues are experts in helping families handle this type of challenge. So today, I'm thrilled to have a guest who can talk to us about how to handle this. And her name is Linda Fodrini Johnson. She is a licensed family therapist and has been a professional certified care manager since 1984. She's also the founder of Elder Care Services, which is one of our most reputable full-time care agencies in the San Francisco Bay Area. And she's a past president of the National Association for Geriatric Care Managers, which in 2015 was renamed as the Aging Life Care Association. Linda has extensive experience in helping older adults and families with memory concerns and just about all other late life challenges. And I know this because I've known her for many years. We first met when I saw her own mother in geriatrics clinic almost 10 years ago. And for the past few years, we've also collaborated on helping certain families. I've consulted on some of the older people and families being served by her agency. And so I've had many opportunities to see up close the way Linda and her colleagues are able to help families through these sticky situations. Their skills are a great complement to what geriatricians can do to help families. And I'm just so glad that she was available to join me for this episode today to share her insights on helping parents and other older relatives. So Linda, Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is a big issue for so many families. Before we get into your thoughts and suggestions on what families can do if they're worried about memory and if a parent or other older relative is reluctant to get help, I was hoping we could start by having you tell the audience just a little bit more about what is a geriatric care manager or aging life care professional, which is my understanding um, is that that's the new term and the types of help that you're able to offer to families. Uh, Thanks, Leslie. This is often confusing for families. Uh, They're always happy to have found us, but wonder why they couldn't find us when they began. So it's really um, a pleasure to have the medical profession acknowledging us as a profession, and we've been around for probably about 40 years. But a geriatric care manager and now 
the National Association is calling ourselves aging life care professionals or aging life care care managers. It depends on the professional. But we wanted to take the word geriatric out of it. So, um, again, that is the population we serve, but there's not many baby boomers that want to be called geriatric. So we're moving to the future here. But the majority of us, I would say 95% of us, have advanced degrees in healthcare or a social service arena, from nursing to uh, actually, there are some medical doctors who actually practice care management. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we have some in our association. I think some attorneys and law offices hire. Uh, care managers who usually have a social service background, uh, being a social worker, or like myself, I have a mental health family counseling background. So besides being a professional in our own discipline, we've then done experience as a care manager before we even can take a certification exam. Because our discipline is broader when we're doing care management. We really need to know if we're coming from social services a lot about medical issues and definitely medications and definitely the dementias. And we also need to know a lot about law, a lot about entitlements, and a lot about resources plus family dynamics. So the breadth of our knowledge is quite wide, but it needs to be to help families with the dilemmas and the situations that they deal with. No, I, that's certainly one of the things about aging is that it the issues span so many different arenas of uh, people's lives. So is there a curriculum that people have to follow to be certified as a care manager? Yeah, there are some colleges that offer programs in care management, and they still are calling it geriatric care management. But the programming isn't enough. It it, it is experience. And to be a member of the National Association with a bachelor's degree, you need four years experience. With a master's degree, you need two years experience working under someone else. You need that supervision as a care manager because, again, you're coming from an educational discipline or license that's fairly narrow. So to get the breath to help families... You need to have the experience plus the education before you take a certification exam. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for addressing that. I found that even experienced doctors, you know, senior doctors who I know at UCSF have not been familiar with geriatric care managers. I remember one mentioning some difficulty he was having helping his mother who lived in another state. And when I mentioned getting a geriatric care manager, he said, what is that? And I was sort of struck by this was a very educated, accomplished physician who just wasn't aware that this is a type of professional who might be able to help him and his family and his mother. Right. So I would love at this point to talk about a situation that came up for me a few years ago. And that is an example of this reluctance to get help when there are memory concerns. Mm-hmm. And so let me tell you and the audience a little bit about it. And then maybe you can share some thoughts and insights on how families can can constructively get around this. Sure. A couple of years ago, a woman called me and she was concerned about her mother, who was, I think, in her 80s, the mother and was uncharacteristically considering a big financial purchase, considering buying a house, and otherwise had shown a few other signs of thinking problems. 
So this woman was understandably concerned about her mother and whether this might reflect more substantial problems related with memory and thinking and asked me sort of what I'd recommend. Of course, I sort of said, well, this should definitely be evaluated. But the difficulty was that the older mother was uh, very reluctant to go see a doctor and kept saying that nothing was wrong and in fact accused her daughter of wanting to micromanage her life. So I'm sure you've encountered countless variations of the same uh, situation, but uh, what do you recommend at times like this when you're approached by families? The first thing you said that really uh, got me concerned was uncharacteristic. So if an adult child calls me and is worried about something and it's a behavior or a pattern that they've not seen before, it's definitely a red flag for me. Mm -hmm. It could be red flag for financial abuse, a scam, or somebody is slowly befriending again to take advantage of the mom, or as you say, a red flag of a potential dementia or other uh, medical issue that could be presenting itself in this this kind of way. And I, I think I'm glad you brought this case up, Leslie, because often with the dementias, it's not just memory. It's this behavior issue of making poor decisions that's our biggest red flag. So right. I, I think that's really good for our audience to, to understand mm-hmm. and Definitely, that was, for me, the, the big clue here is uncharacteristic. The daughter hasn't seen her mother doing things like this. So I think the approach is going to be, if you don't want mom to resist or dad to resist what you think is the next step, if you think the next step as the adult child is a medical evaluation, you might be going a little too fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the puts that elder in a defensive position and think Mm -hmm. you're meddling and getting involved and they don't want you to micromanage their life. Uh, And again, that kind of paranoia you and I see with the dementias in the early stages as well. Mm -hmm. So what I would uh, recommend with this daughter is to say, tell me more about that mom. Why now? Why are you thinking about buying a house now? And that might lead to other clues. Well, I brought, I met this really nice realtor and she talked about I could downsize and I won't have any stairs. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's, maybe it's something that's making sense. Maybe she does have stairs. Maybe she is struggling, mm-hmm. but maybe not, you know. So it'll depend on the answer I get to those, that question, mm-hmm. where I will go next with it. But if it sounds unreasonable and I'm still suspicious and I really want to get her to a medical evaluation, I'm probably not going to start there. I'm going to suggest something somewhat related to it and it might be something related to taxes. You know, with families like this, I would suggest a softer path than going directly to the physician because, again, uh, an elder might be a little frightened of getting an evaluation that could say they don't have capacity. Maybe they're wise enough to have seen that with other friends and they're just a little hesitant or maybe very hesitant. So the softer path I would suggest with this daughter and her mom was, well, so far, I hear mom that you want to buy a new house. That's that's interesting. But let's go see if it's a wise financial 
step for you to take. And let's go talk to either a CPA. It depends on somebody you already have a relationship. It could be the family attorney, a mom's attorney, somebody that she has a positive relationship with. And, and then see if it's a good idea for you to do this. And then, again, the daughter or the son could have a conversation with that other professional and say, I think my mother could be potentially being taken advantage of. She has met this realtor that I'm not too sure about. Um, Mom's never done anything like this before. But would you talk to her about the tax consequences of doing such a thing? So Mm -hmm. in this situation, we have a house. So we have a a reason to go to either an attorney or a CPA. And hopefully it's somebody there's already a relationship with. That's what's really important. The relationship of trust. Right. And that, that that professional have the information from the daughter or the son prior to meeting with the mom so they know what they think is happening. And then that professional can say, well, it sounds like a good idea, but let's make sure you're in good health before you make this big purchase. And and they can then make that suggestion to yeah. go for a, yeah. a good physical. Uh-huh. So it sounds like, you know, part of what you're suggesting is and this is like really good relationship advice that I think is offered, you know, for people of all ages, but it's to really listen attentively and help the person feel like you're interested in their concerns and in learning more rather than jumping to judgments and telling them what to do. And then suggesting someone who's not the doctor. Yes. You know, right away kind of, um, doesn't put that pressure of, you're going to get medically checked to see if you have Alzheimer's, which I think can be really alarming. And one of the the things that I addressed in the related um, episode two about getting evaluated is that is that it's an evaluation to see about memory and thinking and that there are many things that are not dementia and Alzheimer's exactly. that can affect an older person's memory and thinking. And I think it can be very off-putting when we tell an older person, we're going to get you checked for Alzheimer's. Right. And it can be potentially reassuring when we sort of frame it as there are lots of treatable things that can make memory and thinking worse. And, you know, we're concerned and let's look for those because we can help you think your best. Exactly. And there's, there's reversible things too. We, we don't know if mom's living alone. Is she eating well? Are there other medical issues that we should right. be attending to that we haven't? So mm-hmm. there's so many other questions that hopefully a physician would also look at uh, to see if she is making a, a good decision. And, and sometimes my advice to adult children is, you know, if the mom or dad is mentally, mentally competent and they have a right to make bad decisions um, in our country anyway, uh, well, that's true. That's certainly true. I mean, I think families are often not sure. Exactly. First of all, if if they're mentally competent. And then, I mean, I would say that in, you know, most of the situations that have been brought to my attention, the, the person is often actually at least a little bit impaired, although often it, it might be made much worse by medication mm-hmm. or, as you know, after hospitalization, right. people often start thinking worse than usual, that's delirium, and that can take months to resolve. So I would say that most of the time when I'm approached, especially if the older person's of a certain age, there is, you know, they really aren't thinking their best or the way they used to. And and then now there's also that evidence about just 
age-associated decline in financial capabilities and this idea that it's normal, even people who are considered normal and healthy will have a little bit of a decrease. And so if you add that to medications, you could end up with somebody who's, you know, not functioning at their best. Exactly. And in the case that we're talking about today, it's that uncharacteristic part right, that, exactly. that really is your red clue, yeah. red flag, that something needs to be addressed further, that we've got something going on here that's just yeah. not right. Things that are out of character. And then when it's something potentially high stakes, like a big financial transaction. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's really serious. One of the other things besides other professionals that the research tells us sometimes works is to be approached by the daughter-in-law or son-in-law or the partner of the adult child. Oh, that's so interesting. It, it is interesting because there's something called filial maturity. And I don't know if you've heard that term, but... I don't know that I have. Okay, in social work and counseling, that's when an older adult and the child see themselves as two adults, not parent and child. And Mm -hmm. we sometimes see these relationship of parent-child that go on all our life, that the mother is always seeing that child who's, you know... 55 years old as their child and they don't take Uh advice from or direction but their partner their daughter-in-law their son-in-law they'll listen to so Uh and there's some research that actually uh, proves that so oh so that's a great point that is an issue in your family it might be somebody else your partner that does the um what do i want to say the intervention that comes up Mm -hmm. with the ideas Right. And that brings up sort of Mm. some of the uh, concerns, maybe, and makes suggestions. So let's say that this woman talks to her her mother in a sort of thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about why you were thinking of this. And let's talk to the attorney or the, you know, your financial advisor about it. And that person recommends um, seeing a doctor. What if at that point the mother still says, no, absolutely not. I don't want to. And the family has observed some of the other signs that are concerning for substantial cognitive impairment. And in the previous episode, I'd sort of talked about the eight behaviors that have been shown to be reasonable predictors, like having difficulty learning a new skill or repeating yourself. What would you recommend at that point? Well, if if mom is still refusing and still wants to proceed and you have other red flags, you might have to step to something in the legal arena of capacity. And you have to step in and often you have to bring in adult protective services or legal services for seniors or elders, depending on what it's called in your community, and almost force that evaluation. Mm -hmm. And you might have to take control of the finances of the parent to protect them. That becomes very ugly, and it's not pleasant for families or for the elder to experience, and it's also expensive. Mm -hmm. But when you have enough red flags and you really are concerned, that might be the only approach. Now, there is another approach, and that's called the geriatric care manager or the care manager. I was going to say, yeah, that's partly what I think about is recruit a professional to help mediate those conversations. Exactly, and I've stepped into so many of those, and and then I've been the advocate for the elder. I kind Mm -hmm. of say, I understand your daughter is, you know, you feel like she's micromanaging, and we need to prove that you have mental capacity, that you are of sound mind. 
And then I am on her side, mm-hmm. the mom's side, and I will actually take the client to a clinic that does comprehensive evaluations of mm-hmm. memory or behavior like this. And I'll stay with that client or the care manager will stay with that client through all the testing. And it's neutral. It's not the daughter taking or the son. And it usually works out really well. Some some of my clients that have been, <laughs> been very highly educated get very um, incensed sometimes at the mm-hmm. testing process. It feels childlike sometimes to somebody that's got a PhD and right. taught in a university. But nevertheless, you know, if you stay with them and tell them the importance, this will show that you have capacity or that maybe you need some medication to help you uh, with whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. Again, focusing on giving them hope and giving them a little autonomy and control. But that neutral third party is then taking them through the steps to get this evaluation mm-hmm. completed. Yeah. And that could happen before you go to that step of the legal arena and capac- capacity will be revealed in this testing process. Yeah. And it seems to me that it's really much better to get somebody with experience to help mediate the conversations, first of all, between concerned adult children and their parents. And then to also provide some guidance as to how you can move forward without letting things get to the point at which you're calling adult protective services or having to look into lawyers or make really drastic interventions that can be expensive and really disruptive. The problem could be in buying a house or selling documents that, you know, you have to move quickly. So Mm -hmm. in many of the clinics, if you present as a care manager anyway, as an advocate for my client, if I presented such a case to a clinic, they would probably speed up the process for me uh, and and get that person seen quicker instead of being on a waiting list for six weeks, you know, Mm -hmm. that a lot could happen in those six weeks. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about how people can find a good care manager, especially for that first part about mediating the conversation with parents. And then I often think of a good geriatric care manager as someone who can also sort of counsel the adult children and help them with their own frustration or anxiety. But tell us a little bit more about how people can can find someone who's suited for both those conversations with their parents and then maybe for helping them with their own emotions and feelings. I think once you can find a good care manager, number one, you could ask your physician if they're working with any care managers. But I think through the National Association or uh, there is another organization that I am the chief professional officer with, and that's called the villageplan.com. But Aging Life Care Association, uh, you just would put in your the zip code of where your parent lives, and you would get a list of care managers. But then you always, you have to choose from that list. And mm-hmm. you see people's credentials, but you need to have conversations with them. And what, was that initial conversation comfortable? Did you feel listened to? Did you feel heard? Do you feel like they have the experience that you need? And you, you need somebody that has at least five years experience being a care manager to direct you in, in these kind of complex situations. So mm-hmm. you can go to either one of those paths to find a care manager in, in the United States. And we have members in Canada also part of our organization. And I think we have a few other out, out of the country members 
But again, to find that care manager, you have to wait. It's a good match. It's like choosing an attorney, a physician, or any other professional. You have to make sure they connect and they have the expertise, especially with the dementia, that somebody's really skilled in working with families with dementia. Mm-hmm. And then that the next part of your question, Leslie, was do we want the adult child to be empowered to do the interventions or does the adult child need us to step in and be the neutral third party? And again, that often starts with the consultation with the adult children. Maybe they come to us with this issue and we put together a strategy on how we're going to approach mom or dad with a plan A and a plan B and a plan C. So Mm -hmm. we know that we have everything we need to get Make sure that mom or dad is safe and well cared for. And the adult children have the resources they need because just like not knowing a geriatric care manager exists, they might not know of the thousands of wonderful resources that can support their parent in their own home. Right. Yeah. Well, so for instance, you have a background as a family therapist. Mm -hmm. And you were saying earlier that to become a certified geriatric care manager, people come from different backgrounds and some primarily a nursing background or a social work background. Do you find that for cases like this that, you know, involve a lot of frustration in talking to the parents or a lot of parental reluctance, do you find that it's good to find somebody who particularly has a therapy background? Yeah, and most social workers do as well. So somebody that comes from the realm of mental health psychologists, a family therapist, and they're called different things in different states, but they're licensed and, you know, we've taken a test and done our graduate school work. And, you know, I can't imagine doing this kind of work without a counseling background, to tell you the truth. I mean, I call on my skills constantly and so do my colleagues. Uh And, And my nurse colleagues, and I'm not, you know, they have some counseling in their educational path as well. But they also often bring us social work counselors in. And if you're looking for a, a company that has care management, you might look at one that does some teamwork like we do. So we have nurses that work together with our social workers or our family therapists. So you have somebody kind of monitoring the medical well-being mm-hmm. and somebody looking at the more psychosocial, the psychological and the the social environment. And it's about quality of life and it's about safety. Right. I feel like I've seen geriatric care managers just doing such a wide variety of things to help families. And sometimes it seems like very much kind of, you know, managing of the health and the health needs and the life needs and kind of logistic and organizing that I found, you know, myself thinking that it's probably like any other profession that people often start off with in the training path covering lots of different arenas, but develop a particular expertise in certain aspects of it. So I've, you know, sometimes found myself thinking, you know, for some of the sticky situations that people bring up to me, especially the ones where, um, where adult children are feeling very frustrated and having difficulty talking with their parents, I've sort of found myself thinking, wow, I hope they get someone who's going to be really good at helping them with their feelings and helping to mediate that conversation. And so it sounds like if that's the situation that people are facing, it can be good to look for a care manager with, you know, who is confident in in counseling and maybe has more of a therapy background or a social work background where the counseling was a prominent part of it. 
Oh, I, I think it's extremely important that families kind of meet with a care manager even before they have a crisis when they just start seeing some slight changes due to the aging mm-hmm. process. Maybe maybe mobility problems or, you know, mom or dad is now a widow or a widower and they're living alone. Well, let's bring in an expert that, that knows all the resources, mom and dad, to meet you just in case things go wrong. We know who to call on. It's kind of building your safety net. Mm-hmm. So if you do that early on and that care manager that you select is always there for you. Maybe you don't have any real major needs right now. You just see some aging changes, some normal aging changes, and maybe there's some grief going on if there's been uh, a recent loss of a spouse or a partner. You know, so you bring that care manager in early and make them part of your team. You have your geriatrician. Hopefully there were more geriatricians than you, doctor. Well, we'll see. (laughs) There are not many of you, but, you know, you have a geriatrician, you have a good family physician, you have Mm -hmm. your elder law attorney, you have your financial planner, and you really need that fourth leg of this stool, and that would be the care manager who's your advisor for, again, resources and dilemmas and just quality of life issues. Mm -hmm. I think it's a a wise decision for families to meet with a care manager early in the process, just as a consultation. Right. Well, I love that idea. And um, I think, you know, for a lot of families, the hitch is that care managers usually are private pay and people are often reluctant to make that investment up front, even though I think often it can pay off down the line and reduce stress and, <laughs> and uh, conflicts and, you know, maybe even averting some problem situations related to finances or safety. And that's what I hear. That's the feedback that I hear from families when I meet them. For They've come to me with one issue, but I'm going to go over all of it. I'm going to go over the whole wheel of issues that affect an older adult and their families. And they always leave with, oh my God, I wish we had seen you sooner. We could have saved so much more money. And, you know, we could have had a better way of approaching mom and dad. We've been approaching them totally wrong up to this point. And so I also teach classes, and I, I know you do too, doctor, and that, you know, I think people need education. We, we we didn't get this education, no matter how much education we've had. Yeah, but that it's a set of skills to cultivate, just like, you know, one might read books or take courses on just having better relationships with one's spouse or, you know, one's family, but there are all these life skills that, or life situations that we end up in very often and where you can actually cultivate your skills and people often don't think to do so. Right. Because we sort of assume we should just know how to handle it so that we'll work it out. But a little coaching and and training can really make a difference, I think. I think it makes a drastic I mean I teach these classes like I probably teach a class at least once or twice a month and every single time I teach someone or Last time I taught something, I think about five people came up to me and said, oh, my God, I wish I had known this sooner. Yeah. So for those classes, are they at um, kind of caregiver support groups or where might people be able to look for a class if they're on the fence about getting an individual care manager or not sure they can 
afford it at that time. Right. Well, let's let's talk about that. I mean, if you call any care manager and uh, and across the country, care management probably runs anywhere from $100 an hour to $200 an hour mm-hmm. and even higher in some metropolitan areas like Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But if you can't afford that, you can always start at the area office on aging, uh, and in California, that's 1-800-510-2020, and that mm-hmm. will connect you to a local office that should be able to tell you about all the caring for aging parent kind of classes or caring for somebody with dementia classes that are offered. Mm-hmm. Um, my website, eldercareanswers.com, we have, you know, we're in the San Francisco East Bay we have all the classes that I teach are listed. Mm-hmm. And I, you, you do a lot of online teaching too. Yeah, I do it sometimes and I'm hoping to do um, more of it as the site expands. But I think if people are having difficulty accessing our expertise as geriatricians or geriatric care managers, even, you know, whether it's because there aren't very many of us or because it's hard to afford, I think the next best thing to working one-on-one is to, you know, attend some lectures, especially if there's an opportunity for question and answer and get a little, you know, extra education. Right. And support groups are great. You know, the Alzheimer's Association does support groups all over the country. I do a support group or my staff does a support group in our office. They're free, you know, so it it is a way to tap into a care manager um, for a a little bit of free advice and, Mm -hmm. Even the the village plan, my other hat that I wear, you can have a 30 minutes free to talk to a care manager and help them guide you, even if you can't afford to to pay for one ongoing. Right. And I think actually many, a certain number of care managers offer like a free initial consultation or short conversation, right? Yeah. It's short. It's not enough to get into the the weed, so to speak, and to really. But it might be enough to see if the person sounds like a good fit, or if you like their approach. Or... Yes, that definitely. And and anybody that doesn't give you ten, fifteen minutes, or even a half hour, and you don't want advice, you just want to know how they would approach such a situation, mm-hmm. um, because you don't want to be giving advice unless you have a relationship and, and you really need more information before you can give a lot of advice anyway, right. except for maybe other resources. Yeah. And, you know, one other related question I wanted to ask you is that I know a lot of people who are struggling with their older parents and maybe their older parent is resisting getting the, the help that the adult child thinks they should get. There are often siblings involved as well. And sometimes siblings are having differences of opinions. And can you just speak briefly to what you recommend for for navigating that part, the kind of disagreements or differences of, of opinion on how to progress with siblings? Yeah, you would think that some of us grew up in different households when you hear the story from different siblings about the relationship with parents and, and what they think the parents value. And it's, it's surprising to me, in the very best of families, we have these well-educated, well-meaning, loving siblings, and they totally disagree on what's right for mom and dad. And I I can't say that there's a, a better use of a care manager than to bring in a professional care manager with some sort of counseling background to have a family meeting with you all, present what's going on, and listen, truly listen to each person's concerns and what they would like to accomplish. 
I've done so many of these meetings and I'm so surprised always at the ending that they come up with some resolve and it's good. You have to have respect and a good leader of a family meeting will request and require respect of each other so that everybody can be heard. Um, I've done many, many of these family meetings and Mm -hmm. they usually come out with a positive approach or at least step one. And everyone gets heard and you, again, you have that neutral third party, not to present another idea, but to kind of reframe the ideas they've heard and come up with a compromise or a solution that'll work for everybody. But keeping in mind what's best for the adult, older adult and not just the adult children. Yeah, a skilled facilitator who exactly. reminds the group to come back to the importance of respecting that older person's preferences and wishes. And yeah, I think we're going to have to to wrap this up soon. It's been such a rich discussion, but I feel like what we keep coming back to is that in most cases, it's so important to try to get help because I think people feel like asking for help reflects them failing, you know, or not being kind of close enough to their parents or or skilled enough. But I think almost everybody benefits from just getting a little extra facilitation and mediation and help with the conversation and the emotions. Exactly. It's about quality. Again, circling back, it's about quality of life for everybody, the adult children, as well as the parent. And as long as everybody knows that that's the end that we're looking for, I think you get cooperation. And it's not about asking for help because you're weak. It's about asking for some direction because you're strong. Right. I mean, that you want to increase your, your skills at being a better daughter, son, spouse, partner. And, uh, and, and this- I often tell people also that not only will it help them sort of get through the particular situation, but I feel like in most cases, people build some communication and relationship skills. You know, they further develop those right. in a way that pays off for the rest of their relationship with their, their parents you know, which often there's years and years, but also just with, you know, the rest of their family and their own children eventually, because they'll eventually, you know, perhaps be the older parent with married children. So I feel like it's just such a, um, if one can find the time and, you know, the money if necessary, I feel like it's just such a worthwhile investment that just pays off the rest of your life. I think it does. And what I'm also hearing from the adult children is they're thinking about their own aging and their own journey. And they they say back to me, uh, the feedback is, this is going to help me with my children, not just me with my mm-hmm. mom. Right, exactly. So it's, it's rich in what you uh, receive if you meet with the right professional and take the time to empower yourself mm-hmm. to be effective. Mm-hmm. Now, earlier we sort of talked about the possibility of attending courses or classes or lectures to help. Do you have any favorite books that you recommend that you find help adult children develop these skills or navigate some of these challenges, especially with reluctant parents or parents who might be having memory problems that help them with that? I I still like The 36 Hour Day Mm -hmm. by Nancy Mace. I know it's an old book, but if, if, dementia is an issue. I like families to have that as a resource. 
You don't have to read it from cover to cover. You can just use the index and, and look up the issues that you're dealing with. Is that good for that very early phase where you're worried that something's wrong and they're resisting? There's a little bit about the, in there about that, but there's not a whole lot of, I, I, I would like to tell you that there's a book just about that. Believe it or not, I'm writing a book that has a little bit about that, a lot about that. Yeah. Oh, good. Well. <laughs> Someday it'll get launched. Uh, soon, I hope. But right now, I, I haven't seen in all of the, um, I have a lot of books on my shelf. There's a lot about the, the journey, uh, a lot written by journalists, but I don't have a uh -huh. favorite uh, to tell you. Yeah, well, sounds like that's an opportunity that maybe you're, you're or a, a need that maybe your book will help address to help people with that particular early phase where they're trying to figure out is something wrong and how to, um, how to approach it, you know, constructively approach their parent. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you so very much, Linda. So I guess I'm going to try to, you know, summarize your, your key points. And, uh, so earlier when we talked about the situation where the woman's worried about her older mother, who's uncharacteristically considering a big financial purchase, you sort of mentioned that what's, what's especially important to zero in on is the, an uncharacteristic new behavior and that a good way to start is instead of critiquing the decision or saying something has to be done, you have to go to the doctor, is to be more supportive and explore and try to ask more questions and kind of reiterate your interest in what they're trying to do for themselves okay. and to support them in that and sound supportive in that and to think about bringing in your spouse or somebody else because someone who's not the older person's child might be more successful in being heard and in not raising some of these child-parent dynamics. Exactly. And uh, we talked about sort of starting, instead of rushing into the medical evaluation, instead approaching um, some other advisors to the older person to get input. And you did mention that you think it's good for the adult child to mention to the lawyer or financial advisor you know, ahead yes. of time that this issue has come up and that you're, you're a little concerned and looking... For, for help understanding it and maybe nudging the person to get a little bit more evaluation. And then that if you're, if you're stuck, consider getting help from a professional, someone who's, uh, who's trained and experienced in mediating these conversations and in helping families have more constructive conversations that can really focus on respecting the older person and helping them achieve their goals. Yes. Okay. Anything else you'd add to that? Just the importance of a family meeting prior to problems like this happening. Uh, and uh -huh. if there's any conflict Planning ahead. between siblings, uh, sometimes when you have that neutral third party, listen to everybody, really listen, doing active listening, you can get some movement and you get stuck when you don't have somebody to help you move everything forward. Mm -hmm. So that's a good point too. Well, I think the whole subject of planning ahead to keep these situations from coming up as often is in of itself something that I want to address in future episodes and, right. you know, interview more people since I feel like that's not my core strength. Although of course we do some of it in geriatrics and part of it is about understanding the health situation and what to expect in the future. But for now, I want to thank you for giving us all these great suggestions and insights on how to more constructively approach a parent who might be reluctant to get help, especially when you're worried about memory. So again, Linda, where can people learn more about you? Eldercareanswers.com and also thevillageplan.com. Those are my two hats that I wear. Okay. 
Great. Well, I'll be sure to put a link to those in the show notes for this episode. Great. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed those insights from my colleague, Linda Fodrini-Johnson. And I hope this episode has given you some good ideas on how to proceed if you've been worried about an older parent and if that person has been a little reluctant or resistant to your efforts to help. For more information and links to related articles and resources, be sure to take a look at the show notes online for this episode. Those are available on our website, betterhealthwhileaging.net. Just click podcast in the main menu at the top, and then you'll see the list of recent episodes. And you can click the title for this episode, and that'll take you to the show notes. And of course, if you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, please post your question in the comments section under the show notes for this episode. Chances are that many other listeners will be wondering the same thing. So when you post your question on the site, that allows me to provide an answer that can be helpful to the entire audience. And if you'd prefer to remain anonymous when you post your question, feel free to use your initials or even make up a name for yourself. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the show, please do help support us by subscribing to the show on iTunes, because when you subscribe, this makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. You can also further support the show by leaving a rating or even a review in iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.